You're listening to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. On this week's show, Francis Lamb, writer, editor, radio show host. Francis is certainly one of the most talented guys in the biz, and whether you know it or not, you've probably read his work before. For the past two years, he was a columnist at the New York Times Magazine, where he cooked with immigrants in their home kitchens and talked about their culinary experience with them. He's also contributed to probably every other major food publication in the country, including Bon Appetit. Oh, and he has a day job at Clarkson Potter, where he edits cookbooks. And he just took over for Lynn Rosetto Casper at the Splendid Table on NPR. So I chat with Francis about the difficulty of writing, eating Chrissy Teigen's scalloped potatoes, and when he has time, how he hosts his friends at home. All right, here's Francis Lamb. Francis Lamb, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, man. I don't even know where to begin because I feel, I feel like I can talk to you about like writing and editing and cooking and football. <laughs> and, you know, I'm like, oh, wh- wh- where to start? The quality of this podcast booth. Yeah. Uh, the quality. The studio is very well set up. Mm, it's rich, buttery sounds. <laughs> When's the last time you cooked something? The last time I cooked something? I cooked, uh, <laughs> I made dinner last night at home and uh, my wife and I have a a young daughter. We have a, a, a one-year-old. And so that means dinner at home. It's so funny. I'm like, oh, I'm a food writer, a food editor, you know, like I'm this food like media person. And like literally dinner at home is, okay, I roasted some broccoli on the weekend. So <laughs> no. there's that. And I've got this chunk of like half-eaten mozzarella. So there's that. And I have this... <sighs> There's a, oh, wait, wait, wait Francis, did, did I tell you that this is not live? So if you want to edit all this out and just like pretend we didn't have this conversation. <laughs> no, man, this is getting real. Okay, so, this is so, real so, life, people. And I have like, literally I had some like a, a Tupperware of I don't know what. And I'm like, well, there's like red flecks in it and it like tastes kind of like tahini. So like I'm going to pretend that's a dressing. And I poured some buttermilk into that and I made some couscous and the couscous was Christine hopefully isn't listening to this. I don't think it was that fresh. I don't know if I kept oh, no. the rest of it. You had a little bit of like hanging out in the, in the pantry <laughs> taste a little bit. But I mixed enough of the dressing but so you we know all what? pretended you, it wasn't there. You can just say like the whole fermented thing is really cool right now. <laughs> so honey, it's, it's just a fermented thing it's I got a, from Bar Tartine in, in San Francisco. <laughs> it's a dry ferment. Yeah. Uh, so, so what- Called staling. What was the um, staling? I like that. So what was the end result? The end result was, uh, you know, couscous with uh, chili tahini dressing, roasted broccoli, fresh mozzarella, and uh, except it was not put so, something on top. It too, was like not, <laughs> not so fresh mozzarella, old broccoli. By fresh, I mean <laughs> yeah. not frozen. Yes. <laughs> um, it well, tasted good. You know, it was a grain bowl. This is yeah. the kind of stuff you peddle over here now. It's the healthy-ish. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you, you put some cool adjectives in front of it, and all of a sudden it tastes good. But no, that's interesting. I mean, you are, as a quote-unquote media person, um, you have a lot of pots on your stove, and but you have a day job. Yeah. Yes? Yeah. And so, and you have a wife, and you have a small child, and cooking, you know, at a magazine like Bon Appetit, we like to show you beautiful pictures and people having these great meals, and that's and it's fun. It's, it's fun to sort of voyeuristically indulge once a month in, a, in photos like that. But realistically, you've got to get home from work and cook, and sometimes it, it's better than others or, you know. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I mean, you should have seen me play it. It was beautiful. <laughs> it was beautiful. <laughs> when, <laughs> the broccoli was in a perfect circle. <laughs> when was the last time you like, had friends over for dinner and like sort of cooked a meal where you had time to sort of, you know, prepare something super yummy? Uh, that's funny, actually, because uh, – I would. I was about to say I don't remember because it's been that long. Um, and you know, your daughter goes to bed at seven o'clock. You're trying. You know, the only no. thing that matters in the world is not waking her up. Yada yada. Oh, okay. Except, 
I live in this um, apartment building, small building. Um, but four uh, of the families who live there all had children okay. in the same two-month window. So all like when we have these dreams of, oh, the kids will grow up to be friends, and they'll hang out <laughs> with each other, and all, the whole thing. And um, one of the couples, um, really, really cool couple, did the sweetest thing in the universe. Uh, their, they, had their, they had their baby six weeks before ours. Christine, my wife, went into labor. You know, we didn't tell anyone. And uh, when we came home, it was the day before, like, Thanksgiving. And we were, now we're home, and we're like, oh, my God, what are we doing? And like, like, how oh, do we figure this whole tomorrow. thing out? Yeah, it's Wednesday. Th- yeah, and literally it's Thanksgiving tomorrow. And we were freaking out. By Thanksgiving Day, we were freaking out. Like, baby's crying. She's not eating. You know, but, oh, my uh, God, are we swaddle? killing do we, do oh, I, How do you swaddle yeah, yeah. it? And why what is a swaddle? No, oh, God, I should have taken notes. I still don't know how to get the car seat in. And it doesn't fit. And, oh. <laughs> yeah, all that, right? And like, you know, oh, my God, we're going to kill this child. And by the way, it's like 6 o'clock at night, and we haven't eaten anything yet. And, and you haven't put together the Ikea crib yet, and the instructions yeah. <laughs> don't actually make sense. Literally, the very first night our daughter came home, uh, we had, like, a little pack-and-play, and we thought, like, that would be her crib. Yeah. And so, like, we put this thing, this, like, precious thing that's roughly the size of a football in this giant plastic <laughs> playpen on the floor of our apartment, and we're like, she can't just be there like that. So we like pulled her, pulled her into bed, and then we're like, no, you, you can't sleep with the child in your bed because you're going to smother Roll her. Over, and yeah. then So literally the entire night, I sat up awake with her on my chest, and I was so afraid to fall asleep because I didn't want to kill her. Um, so that was the kind of mindset we were in, like totally I've, like I've frazzled. And then like going into the room, is she still breathing? Is she, yeah, I mean, how do you know? Oh, like, every, you, every hour, every yeah. hour, she's still alive. <laughs> And uh, we are freaking out. We have no idea if we're going to be able to keep our baby alive. We're not taking care of ourselves. It's only been like 24, 36 hours, and we're already a freaking mess. And the doorbell rings. I go over. I open the door. It's our neighbor. And he says, hey, I heard you guys came home. We don't even have to talk about it. (laughs) We thought you might be hungry. And he had two plates of Thanksgiving dinner for us. And it was just... I, I I was speechless. I was like, uh, 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 th- thank you. I close the door. I walk into where my wife is like, you know, trying to nurse our baby and like struggling with it. Freaking out. And she just sees me with these two plates and she looks at me quizzically and I just say, Dave and Tiffany. And we both start crying. <laughs> <laughs> we just like bawling. So like when, the first moment we could get like our lives together enough to have people over, we had them upstairs so this is, you know, almost a year ago. And I made pasta with like a mushroom ragu and Ooh. some cannoli. Having people over, um, and I said it before, but just like people are coming to your house because they want to spend time with you and they want to have an evening with you. Not everything has to be homemade all the time. People think like, oh, if I'm having Adam over, I've got to make everything from scratch and it's got to be fancy. I'm like, sure. no, I don't. Just, there just needs to be enough wine <laughs> and maybe a vodka drink beforehand. And then I'll eat. Yeah, I have no problem with a pint of what ice cream and some cookies for dessert. You know, that's yeah, cool. I'm, yeah, I think that's totally right. And I've gotten more that way. And part of it is, you know, practical reality of life sets in, right? But yeah. I remember when I would have people over and literally I'd cook 12 courses because I had to be You're, you're the food guy, guy yeah. right? Like I had to be, uh, you know, come to my house for a tasting menu. And it was fun. <laughs> I mean, it was fun to cook for two straight days and and have a bunch of people over and pull out every and you know this is well before I had 
a set of plates. It was just like yeah. plates that you know, accumulated over the years, mismatched plates. But I'm putting my little, you know, two inch piece of short rib on this one, and then the, you know the Perfectly whole thing. Yeah. yeah, and that was super fun. But now it's like, yeah, I could just come hang out. Yeah, you know, just come to my home and hang out. And you know, I always feel like that—that that the the nervous cook then makes the guests like nervous, and it's oh, like, yeah. it becomes a keyed up evening instead of just a chill evening. Totally. Um, so, so you for your columnist for the New York Times Magazine for two? How long? How many yeah, years? Two, about two and a half. Two and a half. Two and change. And how would you describe the column? I would describe that column. Uh, so it's funny because the the column in the magazine is just called Eat. Yeah. And it's weekly. And, and so different there's, writers was you and Sifton and now Gabrielle Hamilton's one of the columnists. Exactly, and, yeah. yeah. So we rotated among yeah. four of us every week. Um, but my angle on it or my beat was to cook with different immigrant communities mm-hmm. and to tell the home stories of those communities yeah. every week. And so uh, every month rather. And Did you pitch that to Sam or did he come to you? How did the column come about? Jake Silverstein, who's actually uh-huh. editor in chief of the magazine, uh, I met him. I met him at like a barbecue festival through a he's mutual a f- friend, former Texas Monthly guy. Exactly. Yeah. And over like the sickest, <laughs> the sickest beef short rib, Ooh. we shook greasy hands again. The short ribs. <laughs> the short ribs. <laughs> Uh, and uh, we shook greasy hands and was like, "Hey, great to meet you." This was like early on. I think he had just. Would've, arrived in New York yeah, uh, right. to start the the gig, uh, being editor of the magazine. Uh, I got a call from him, not terribly long thereafter. Like they were, you know, doing a redesign of the magazine. They were rethinking a lot of the different columns and the, and they thought, hey, maybe we have someone who who really wants to tell immigrant stories, um, focused in New York City, but you know, the stories of immigrants are universal in American yeah. society, and. I never actually asked why they called me for it. But when he called, it was like, oh, my God, this is the thing I was put on earth to do. Yeah. Uh, I'm the children of immigrants. I'm the children. <laughs> I am the son. You're not so good with words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, this was the thing I was put on earth to do, learn English to yeah. speak <laughs> in front of people. Um, I'm the child of immigrants, and I do a lot of thinking um, about – the immigrant experience in America. And as a person who loves food, as a person who loves cooking and has a a strong emotional connection to the idea that if you can connect with a stranger, then you have done something special, Mm. right? And frankly, one of the two easiest ways I can think of connecting to a stranger is by asking them about the food they grew up with or asking about the food they cook or the food they miss. And that just became the um, the sort of driving idea behind the column. And I wrote, uh, like I said, I I did it for about two years. There There ended up being exactly 24 of them. And it was a different story every time. Because people come from different walks of life and, you know, different... Are you going to give yourself a book deal and turn it into a book? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pay myself You're really on well <laughs> for that book. Um, but it, it was amazing to me because I, I I walked into it thinking, oh my God, I totally want to do this because I, I, I want to tell these stories. I want yeah. to be um, in the position to help bring forth um, these stories of invisible people. I kind of feel like that's... Everyone has like a a purpose to being a writer and I feel like that's my highest purpose 
to help tell the stories of invisible people. And, you know, when, um, but on some level, I also felt like, okay, well, month after month after month, is it going to be like, well, this person came here and they really struggled and they couldn't, you know, find someone who, you know, reminded them of home and then they remembered their grandma and this one dish thing, you know, like you could fall into that trap of having the same story every time. And hey, it turns out people live lots of different lives. Yeah, everyone has a different story. I think that's what's so interesting about the column and I think food in general is that food food is a way into people's lives and cultures and food tells a story. Um, Food often I say is an excuse. You know, getting dinner with someone is just an excuse to spend time with that person. Oh, we should get lunch sometime. It's like, well, you're just getting lunch because you need something to do together at a table. Yeah. Although you live in New York City, so we should get lunch sometimes. Yes, I'm never going to see you again. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, I mean, it's like, it's it, it's a reason to gather. It's cultural. It's all those things. Um, you know, and so, it, yeah, it tells a story. And and I, I guess my a couple questions. Well, first of all, I want to read a, a little bit because I, I do think you're annoyingly good in your descriptions. Um, <laughs> you're a very evocative writer, uh, if I will. Well, thank you. And you have some... Uh, this was your last column about your mother's tomato and eggs, mm-hmm. sort of Chinese stir fry that you grew up eating. Um, and there's this couple lines like you said, uh, you were trying to figure out how she made this one dish that you grew up eating. Um, calling up my mother to ask her, I knew would be like asking her to describe how to tie shoelaces. Almost impossible to articulate, buried so deep in her muscle memory. In Chinese cooking, this dish is like air, present and invisible. And I was like, wow, that's a really good line. You you. know, and I guess it's funny because you're an editor now, and it's interesting as someone, you know, I still, most I just go to meetings and host some podcasts, (laughs) but every now and then I'll edit something. Um, And it's so nice to get like a piece where you're like, oh man, that's a good line. Yeah, It's just, you know, as a writer, you're like, oh, that's why people should write, (laughs) you know? And like, how often do you, and I guess, anyways, and we can come back to that because now you're a book editor. Um, I don't know. I just, and then there's another great line in here talking about, uh, you know, you're talking about being the son of an immigrant, but you're sort of removed from that direct immigrant culture uh, sure. of actually coming from another country. Uh, and you said being part of a culture without living in it is like being in a long-distance relationship. You can make it work with grand displays of affection and splendid visits, but you don't get to have coffee together on a Sunday morning. The little things, the daily stuff, the stuff daily life is built on. I just thought what was nice about this column was that it was about food, but it wasn't about food. Sure. And and, and striking that balance. And and so how did you, how did you find the stories? How did you find the people? <laughs> I mean, the actual answer to that question is sort of dumb. It's just by hook or by crook. You know, yeah. like you have a monthly deadline, and you're like, oh my god. Um, Your friend knows someone who. No, I mean, yeah. a, a lot of that is that. And but you know, like the very first one I did actually was about a um, a Sri Lankan couple living on Staten Island. And I found them by going to the, what is sort of known as the Sri Lankan neighborhood of New York City. It's not very big. It's it's not even a full block. It's like two halves of <laughs> two blocks that you know, happen to be around, you know, on either side of this intersection. Uh, and there are a few different restaurants and a market there. And I went into the grocery store and I was just kind of kicking around. I started talking to the person behind the counter and said, hey, do you know any good cooks in like home cooks yeah yeah and they pointed me towards uh they pointed me towards this couple who um who were in the store at the time or 
no, 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 no. no. He said, yeah. oh, like, oh, there's yeah. this guy. You should give him a call because, you know, when there are functions in our community or, you know, yeah. gathering, you know, when there are like, you know, festivals or whatever, he shows up with like a portable burner and he makes this dish called kotu roti and which is an amazing dish. It's, I, I sort of liken it sort of to pad thai mm-hmm. in that it's a, it's a stir fry. It, it's sort of like a stir fried noodle with like, you know, vegetables and egg. Mm-hmm. Uh, only instead of like the tamarind sauce you do for ta- pad thai, you do like a, a curry, yep. a chicken curry. And instead of noodles, it's chopped up bits of flatbread. Like the roti. Yeah, yeah. exactly. This like flaky flatbread. And, and it's then kind of stir awesome. fried together. Yeah, and, yeah, it's so badass. Mm. Um, anyway, so they said, oh, this this guy, he, he he's not a professional cook, yeah. but he loves making this dish. And when we have, you know, like, you know, when there's a cricket match or whatever, yeah. you'll see him there with his burner. So you just cold called this guy? Yeah. And he was like, who are you? And yeah, yeah. Well, really, I said, you know. Did uh, he say, are you Roy from the New York Times? Or like, <laughs> was he a little skeptical at well, first? Well, I or? Mean, it's funny because I was talking to people who were, you know, immigrants. Yeah. And some of whom certainly, you know, knew the paper or um, had some sense of what it meant to be called by a reporter. Yeah. And, and, and maybe, you know, they want to see their story in print or whatever. And some of whom really had no idea. They're just trying to like get by and do their thing and make a life for themselves here. And, you know, they're not reading the New York Times. They're not reading American media. You know, they're just no. trying to do their thing. In fact, uh, there's one, uh, uh, I read a story about the Burmese community and they had, they actually did have a, like a, an, once a year, this local Burmese organization does this like fundraiser where they have like a bunch of volunteers come and cook food and you come and buy the food and all the, and all the proceeds go back to Burma. And I met this woman there who made this really incredible sort of like chickpea, almost like a chickpea polenta that mm-hmm. she like that cut up mm-hmm. and, and dressed. It's almost like a salad with tamarind, fish sauce, garlic, and fried shallots. Was it polenta? Was it sort of baked or was it fried? Or well, You cook it uh-huh. uh, on the stove yeah. and then you just let it cool and sort yeah. of sets up. They call it tohu, so yeah. like tofu. And then you would just cut it into yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you and then you dress it with this sort of like tangy tamarind fish sauce garlic dressing, freaking delicious, and it was like totally the dish that blew me away the most. And I asked her like, hey, I'm you know I'm from the New York Times. I would love to learn how to make this dish. Would you show me? And she didn't speak that much English, yeah. but she understood that I was asking her to make it. We communicate a little bit. Long story short, the woman ends up coming to my home to make the dish. She lives like an hour. Oh an hour and about 10 minutes away from me. Tiny woman, she packs up not just all the ingredients for the dish, but she brings her pot, her spoon, <laughs> no her, way. because she's like, I don't know yeah. if you have this stuff. So she has this like 40 pound bag. Oh my God. The woman probably weighs 85 pounds. Mm. Um, brings it an hour to my house, cooks a dish with me, shows me. Um, and I said something to her at the end. I said, hey, you know, um, you know, so when I write the story for blah, 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 and she like, well, what do you mean? I was like, oh. And like as a journalist, you're freaked out yeah. because you have to you have to know that the per- the subject knows you're writing about yeah. them, right? You can't like spring it on and be like, guess what? Yeah. I'm writing about you. And you I've know? been recording this whole thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like that's kind of a no-no. And I was like, oh, no, no. I'm like, oh, I thought, you know, I, I thought we talked about this. And yeah. she's like, oh, okay, that's that's fine. And I said, and then finally later I was like, I texted her and asked her, you know, why would you come all this way to show a stranger how to make this dish if you didn't know I was going to write about yeah. you? And she just said, I said, yes, because you asked. And I want to be nice. Wow. And, 
you know, that was one story out of two dozen and one experience out of two dozen, but, and they weren't, they weren't all the same by any stretch of imagination and the feeling of them wasn't all the same, but it kind of spoke so much to this sense of vulnerability and generosity mm-hmm. um, that I think exists at the heart of the immigrant experience. You know, you, and it's and it's often communicated through food. Food is a, a symbol of generosity. Like, let me feed you. Let me take care of you. you know? Yeah, especially uh, like and that's how they share their hospitality. Yeah. And, you know, for someone who didn't have that much mm-hmm. to share, you know, in terms of, you know, wealth and resources yeah. and all that stuff. And for her to take half a day of her life that's to come crazy. to a total stranger. Your last column was February 2nd, 2017, mm-hmm. because you got another gig now. And I don't know if because of, but you do have a new gig, as, as your silky smooth voice will reveal, <laughs> uh, as the host of the Splendid uh, Table radio uh, show. Yeah. Um, how did that come about? Uh, that's been a show that I think food people know about. It's been on there. Lynn Rosetta Casper was a host for 20 years or so, maybe? Yeah, 21. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm sure you – were you a guest on the show before? Yeah. I, um, six or seven years ago, uh, I was a guest on the show. Um, <laughs> Lynn had reached out to me. So, yeah, this is a show on public radio. It's been around for 21 years. Lynn has always been the host. She yeah. founded the show, was named after her book, in fact. And – Lynn reached out to me a bunch of years ago and said, hey, like, I really love this um, thing you wrote about how you make ratatouille. And so I showed up on her show to talk about making ratatouille. And, you know, they had me on a few more times and they eventually turned around and said, hey, you know, would you want to come to the other side of the microphone and interview some people and be a contributor? I said, yeah, sure. That sounds like fun. Did that for a couple of years. And and then they said, hey, you know, um, you can't tell anyone this, but Lynn is thinking about retiring and we're looking for our next host and um you know we'd like you to we'd like you we'd like you to be that person i was like awa, 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 awa. it was so crazy and it was uh you know I, I never thought that i would have a career in radio it's just not a thing that was like on my radar <laughs> you didn't know if radio would still be around by the time you were <laughs> yeah having a wife and child please um, save the corporation for public broadcasting yes. please save the corporation for public broadcasting um I used to be like a serial monogamist in like food media. Like first I was like a writer and then I was an editor, but then I like dabbled back in writing again and now I'm on radio and then, and then I dabbled in like, then I dabbled in like TV and now I'm in radio and I'm in radio for real, but I'm also an editor and I'm like, oh my God, I'm not even a serial monogamist. I'm just like a straight up like. I think, <laughs> but I think, I think that's, it's also a reflection of the times that er, no, no industry is stable enough at the moment to just be like <laughs> TV, who the hell knows where it's going? Are we watching TVs or iPads or iPhones? Like print publishing is God knows what. And like, so you kind of have to have multiple pots on the yeah. stove. I think. Welcome to the Bon Appetit podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Has to be, yeah. And then I have to go up and yeah, edit a website. Um, all right. So, so that's a good, so it's so a, a weekly radio show. I have no idea how much work that entails in your part in terms of like doing the stories and report or, you know, talk us through just like, yeah, what, what, what does it entail to be the host of the Splendid Table? Yeah, well, that's a funny question because I didn't know. <laughs> you just show up like, all right, what are we talking about today? Yeah, give, me them, I, yeah, give me some notes. I, I straight up did not know yeah. when I said yes, and I signed the contract and <laughs> still didn't know. 
And literally, it wasn't until after I signed the contract and they're like, hey, you should really come out to the office because I'd never met anyone. Like, Where's the office again? So the show is actually based in Minneapolis, yeah. or St. Paul, actually. I, I had done it a couple of times and you're, you always get on the phone. And, and Lynn was such a, like, a menchie person. Like, there was something just so old school and awesome about her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so so that you flew to Minneapolis. Yeah, and I, I, mean, I had met Sally Swift, who's the magic producer, who co-founded the show with Lynn mm-hmm. all those years ago. And, but she's the only person I'd ever met. I walk in the building, you know, I went to the security uh, person and said, hey, my name is Francis. I'm here to see uh, Sally Swift. And he looked up at me and said, we're so glad to have you. <laughs> and I said, You're like, what? what? You're like, I'm from said, New York. We're not, we're yeah. not nice. What are you, who are you? Why are you saying yeah. that? Yeah. And he said, you know, we're so excited uh, f- to see what you're going to do with the show. The security and, guy said yeah. that. That's amazing. It was like you're, we are not in New York City. Anymore. Yeah, I was wow. totally blown away. And um, in the course of three days, spending three days with the the folks in the office, I, it really was impressed upon me that it wasn't just like, oh, now you're the guy who's going to show up on a microphone. Because my experience has always been that it's like, okay, you're going to interview this person. Yeah, you get a little prep, prep, and then yeah, yeah, you're and show up at this time and yeah. put on headphones and you know talk to this person. Hopefully, make it interesting. You know, and I kind of thought, okay, it's that times you know four times yeah. you know however many times a week or whatever and the more we talked about it, the more it was like no we really want you like we, the show has to reflect you as a person yeah. not just oh you're the voice that's reading the script i'm like oh oh like they want you they want it to be your show and like yeah. you to be a leader yeah and and lynn and i are trading shows yeah. from here to the end of the year so um so there's so there's a funny thing going on where two things are happening one is you know, I respect the show and I respect Lynn and I, I know that, you know, people have listened to this show for a long time yeah. and I'm not the kind of person just as a human being, I'm not the kind of person who's like, I'm running shit now, you know, like, <laughs> boom, things are going to change. You know, like I, I never want to be that person because no one likes that person. And, um, because readers, readers, I still keep saying readers. Oh my God. They're, one, they're going to have my freaking head <laughs> one day. You're like, they're listeners, um, you know, are going to be wigged out. Not just by that, but by the fact that like, and then the next week they're going to hear Lynn again and they're going to hear me again, you know? So like yeah. there, there, there needs to be a continuity. Yeah. And, and a natural segue. Exactly. And I respect the show and, and the way they've done things and, and the way they've covered subjects. And, and honestly, it's like, it's funny because at this point you look at the show, it's over 20 years old. It, it feels old school. But when they started in 1995 or six. Who was doing food programming that wasn't recipe based? Yeah. And they have always talked about this thing that we were saying before food as sort of the entry point into all these different things, culture and personal stories and, you know, economics and politics and the whole shebang. In a way, it feels old school, but in a way, it still feels super fresh mm-hmm. because. I think what happens is as you get new generations of people who are interested in food, and as food has changed in our pop culture, food has moved so far into the center of pop culture. I remember when the Food Network started in 1993, and I was like, who the hell will watch TV about food? <laughs> 24 while, hours a day? Yeah, while I was watching TV about yeah. food, you know, I'm, all of a sudden, I'm like, this is weirdly engrossing. And then, you know, however many years later, it's like, yeah, we all watch that. And then however many years later, it's like, yeah, we all watch chef's table and we read bone app and you know it's just part of we don't go to shows anymore like 22 year olds go out to dinner and that's like oh my god when i was 22 that's not what you did no no (laughs) you went to the bars and you tried to like you know you saw a band you went to a bar yeah you do your bar thing 
And so uh, as new generations of Americans have grown up with food as being a natural part of pop culture, I think we start seeing the media in a different way and we feel like anything that sort of legacy sort of media sort of feels old. But if you actually look at what they were doing, especially in the context of what they were doing at the time, um, you know, the real trailblazers really have a lot still to bring to the table. And so what I'm trying to do is respect that history and, you know, push it a little bit just from what interests me and my sensibility and, you know, bringing, um, more sort of personal stories, bringing more narrative stories to the show, bringing conversations that are, that are like weird and thorny, mm-hmm. um, but still couching it in this larger idea of, it's great, I had this conversation with this guy, Chris Thiele, who's the host of A Prairie Home Companion. And so he was- He's, a, the, he's the new guy also. Yeah, and yes. so he kept talking about this really interesting idea of comfort. And it was sort of Gar- it was Garrison, what Garrison had told him. So many people use the show for comfort. And part of what that means is constancy. You know, they know when it's on the air. Mm-hmm. They know what they expect from it. They know what they need. They know, like, it gives them a certain feeling and they want that feeling every single time they hear it. But at the same time, the idea of comfort is to steal yourself for the work that needs to be done, right? So there's always a sort of tension. If you make the show that Lynn would have made, no one's going to be happy. No, It's not going to be your show. But you know, as a writer, if you try to write like someone other than yourself, it just doesn't work. Yeah, except I feel you like know? my entire career as a writer, I've been like, I've been trying to steal. <laughs> like everyone else, like, like everyone is better than me. I'm trying to like steal Jonathan from. Gold. Oh. Yeah, you know? Um, but yeah, but if you make the show that someone else, if you try to make your imitation of someone else's show, you're not going to be happy. Yeah. They're not going to be happy. And the listener's not going to be happy. Yeah. So you got to make it yours I, anyway. I think, I mean, I think the spoken word is interesting with podcasts now, still with radio. I mean, A, storytelling always resonates. Um, and there's something weirdly intimate about the, the human voice. And especially now as we, so many of us walk around with headphones on listening to podcasts and radio shows now in podcast form. Like you have that person's voice in your head yeah, and you feel like you know them. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and there are certain podcast hosts that I'm like, oh, we're, we're friends. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, we've never met before. No, I'm really like, creepy I do, about I this totally actually. I totally get you. Like I'm, I'm with you, man. Like you don't know me, but you would like me if you met me. <laughs> I hope I never meet you in person because I'm totally going to be weird if I do. We had uh, we had Mark Marin, a uh, podcaster on the on yeah. Foodcast last year, and I had never been more nervous because I was like, I know everything about Mark, and I'm obsessed with this show and this and that. And I'm like, oh, and he's going to just think I'm a freak, like nerding out on him. And it was like it was an it was a weird experience, like me interviewing him, and I'm like, I need to just calm down. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think and part of I think that's part of the. That's a dynamic that makes social media so, in- or one of the dynamics that makes social media so interesting, right? Because it is so much of social media. Yeah, you is think about, you know someone you've never met them before. Yeah, which and is weird. From famous people down yeah. to like you know someone who just like has a really funny Twitter feed or whatever. Wait, so shows in Minneapolis based? So are you recording in it? Were you recording in New York? Like, no, how does this work? I, yeah, I, I live in New York, and uh-huh. so I um, we actually have bureau, like some of the yeah. shows from NPR okay. have. A bureau here. And so I you're recording it here. Yeah. And then how much time are you spending during the week sort of coming up with story ideas for the show, like doing some pre-reporting, that sort of stuff that sort of puts the show together as opposed to just walking into the studio and putting the headphones on? A lot. Yeah. A lot. I mean, I think- More than you thought? 
<laughs> um, if you if you want to bring this conversation to my agent, I'd be yeah. happy. To <laughs> Can we get Francis yeah. a raise? <laughs> <laughs> um, more than I, I don't know if it was more or less than I thought, but it is. It's a lot, but it's fun. For example, one thing we've been playing a lot with in the show is the show has always been kind of like a almost like an hour of a variety hour, yeah. a magazine format yeah. type show, and we still want to maintain that um, that variety. But we kind of want to bring things a little bit closer together. So mm -hmm. a theme for the show that gives it some kind of context. And what that's done from my brain, too, is just like make myself think of a theme has been, has been really fun. Because once you get a great idea for a segment or an interview you know you want to do, like you know someone's book is going to come out and that book is going to be great. And you think, of, okay, we're going to do a segment with them. And then what spirals yeah. off of that? Which like, is what's another different angle yeah. into that idea? Different what's a cooking thing based on that book? And then what's a travel thing? And then we kind of sort of piece together a show. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of lots of sort of things going on. All right. So you, you, you're you the new host of The Splendid Table. You still write a lot. You got, what, 13 James Beard Award nominations this year? <laughs> <laughs> I think four. Is four correct? Yeah, it's four. Right. Yeah. Congratulations on that. Thank um you. Uh, you were nominated for one for, or did you nominate two for Bon You did that great piece on dry aging, dry age B for Bon Appetit a few mm -hmm. years ago, which you were nominated for, and you're a book editor. Yeah. Like that's your day job, so to yeah, speak, yeah, yeah. I guess. And that's a very different rhythm and stuff. Um, you you edited a super upsetting cookbook about sandwiches by Tyler yeah. Cord, which is one of my favorite <laughs> books. Um, remarkable writer. Uh, the funniest cookbook ever, yeah, ever, ever published. From number seven sub uh, here in New York. Just a great writer. You also, it's interesting, you you did Chrissy Teigen's book. Mm -hmm. uh, the second funniest cookbook ever yes. published. And it's interesting because like she's one of those persons that she elicits a reaction um, from various people, whether it's on her Twitter feed or whatnot. What sort of reaction did you take when you sort of bid for the book and said, I want to do this book? And I'm sure some were, were food world people like, really, Chrissy Teigen? Or were you like, no, 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 trust me on this one. Like, how did you approach that book compared to like the obvious sort of food-centric cookbooks? You know, I approach that book. I, I, in, in some ways, I approach every book the same way, which is what does the book want to be, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't make sense to me to try to make a book that is trying to be like this other book. Well, like you like said about book. the radio show. Don't try to be Lynn. Be exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. And in this case, you know, it was funny because, so I work at Clarkson Potter and the very first cookbook that I acquired to come out was Tacos by Alex Dupac and Jordan Rothman. Alex is a brilliant chef. It's super, super smart, both like in terms of food, but also like a really interested, curious. Yeah. Articulate guy. Yeah, yeah um, you know, super analytical person. And the subtitle of that book was Recipes and Provocation. Recipes are great. He's an amazing chef. That's fine. But the provocations were him asking all of these really sharp cultural questions about why, you know, how do we as Americans, you know, why do we not respect Mexican food the same mm -hmm. way we respect Italian food, the same way we respect Italian food? Did you sort of coax that out of him? Or did you did you go to him and say, you know what, you should this should be more than just recipes? You should get this element into your book? Or did he want to put that in the book and came to you with that idea? He wanted to put that in the book, but I knew that that was the book that he would write. So that's a book that I worked on that I was super excited to work on, super proud to work on. And it's very, you know, not just chef-oriented, but very, like, food culture food media yeah. oriented, right? And then you have Chrissy who, you know, like you like you, you asked the question, oh, were food people like, oh, really? And yeah, sure. Some chefs were like, 
oh, like, what's up with that? Like, oh, you just, he's just like a, you know, a model. But the thing with Chrissy's book is, again, like, you approach it as its own thing. And Chrissy's the first one to tell you, I'm not a chef. I'm not sitting here trying to teach, like, the food world something new. But what I do love is cooking. I truly love cooking. And I also know I have so many fans who, for whatever reason, look up to me. And I think she'll be, she'll be the first one to be like, I have no idea why, but they do. And if I can share with them and get – if I can get one person excited about the idea of cooking for herself probably and she hadn't been excited about cooking for herself before, like I feel like I would have done my job. Yeah. And that's exactly what it is. It was her personality. It spoke to the people who, you know, want to hear what she has to say. It spoke to people who, I mean, she's freaking hilarious. I mean, she's so, wicked smart and funny. And, totally. they, and that comes across on Twitter. And what comes across our Twitter feed so well is that, hey, this is who I am. Yeah. Love me or hate me. I'm not going to try to pretend I'm someone else. And I'm going to be talking about my husband. And we're talking about this. And like, yeah, she's as, as transparent as they come for a celebrity, it feels like. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to talk about my absolute undying love for like, tomato soup and like hot sauce. So how did you as an editor guide her through that process and how sort of collaborative was it and how did that work? Um, in that case, it was really fun because uh, she came to this being like, I know I really want to do this and I don't know how. And we and we paired her with a really, really, really terrific um, collaborator, Adina Sussman, who's a super pro and they, it was incredible. They hit it off so well Adina actually moved into her house. Oh my god! And they cooked together for months. Like that's how they wrote the book. Like Medina moved into her house, and they woke up, and they went downstairs, and they cooked food together, and said that tastes great. Or you know, Chrissy had you know dozens and dozens of recipes that she would always make from home, at home anyway, and like you know, so Chrissy would make that, and then they would tweak it, and they would test. You know, they whole they did the whole shebang, and I got to go to, for some of these sessions. Also, stayed at their house, <laughs> and so like we'd all get up, and all of a sudden be like. Okay, I guess we're going to go and make some crostini. And this was in LA or where was it? Yeah. yeah. So in that case, it felt very hands-on, very much like, I mean, it was absolutely Chrissy's book, um, but it felt like it was a very open process. Yeah. Well, I think, and, any, any, I mean, generally, not all the time, but generally, Andy, you know, so many projects or products are collaborative efforts, whether it's a fashion designer's name on a label. Like, don't think that fashion designer designed that whole thing his or herself. You know what I mean? Like, sure. and if it's a record, it's like, yeah, the band, but it's also the producer, um, you know, that that makes something great. Do you have a favorite dish from the book? <laughs> Anything you tasted during the tastings? Oh, dude. Like, the book, the, the, the food in the book is so freaking good. I keep remembering Chrissy's mom's scallop potatoes. Mm. And it was just like, you know, they made it in this giant, like this enormous pot for the photo shoot. And like the shot was like, you know, one giant sloppy spoonful out of it. And so like the rest of it was there. And it's like, it's an enormous recipe. It's like 12 freaking pounds of scalloped potatoes. Cream and, and cheese and- So much ham. Uh, oh, just ham. so much ham. Ooh, just ham yes. everywhere. Why the heck not? <laughs> and ham I just remember up. sitting there like at the photo shoot and like literally looking around, be like, who's going to see me die yeah. back into this <laughs> for the sixth time? It's like when you're doing the dishes and you're like, you kind of look over the, the pot. I don't know, have another spoonful. Yeah, like, like, okay, am yeah. I? Am you know, I? Those, those, honestly, those things like scalloped potatoes, they get, when they come to the table piping hot, they're not nearly as good as they are an hour from them. 
when they've been sitting for a while and all the flavors have just been sort of kind of coming together and it's sort of that room temperature. I, <laughs> I like that you have like the explanation of, oh, the flavors have come together and not like- <laughs> They've married. No, the dirtier you feel yeah. when you eat it, the better it's going to taste. Like, I'm a terrible person. Yeah. It's cold because you've already eaten your fill six times over. Um, all right, Francis, before we let you go, we're going to do a lightning round. Unless you have any other jobs you want to plug while you're here. <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh, my dog walking service yeah, is exactly. available. All right, we're going to hit you with uh, some lightning round questions, either or. You got to answer them. Uh, Wait, what does that mean? Well, you have to. I'm going to give you an either or question. You got to choose one. Okay. Okay. So, for instance, writing or editing? Oh, God. Yeah, editing. You can do one. Really? Yeah. Writing is the worst goddamn thing. Yeah, but. You know what? Ruth I'm not going to say, say you're a be- but you are a you are a uniquely talented writer. That is selfish of you to say I'm not going to share my writing with the world, so I can sit around and you know edit <laughs> well, a like cookbook I'm, now. Like and I'm then. retired, no, like, but you I'm, only have to do one the rest of your life. You just chose editing. I think because, well, maybe because I've done more writing, and so editing, like you know, taps into a different kind of part of my brain where I get to be reactive to stuff, and mm. that's exciting. And I also think like, you know, the act when you get into that moment where like the sentence is coming out of you're like, oh, you know exactly that's the phrase you want to use. That's magical. But getting there is freaking just painful. Yeah, oh, yeah. And no, like Ruth Reichel always says to me, Ruth Reichel, who's written now like three memoirs, mm-hmm. you know, she's on her fourth oh, autobiography. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, you know, uh, Ruth Reichel is a, a terrific writer and a super prolific one. And she has always said to me, I hate writing, but I love having written. And I am yeah. fully in that camp. <sighs> Brady or Manning? Can I go with Rodgers? Ooh, Aaron Rodgers. You can, yeah, sure. I'm going with Rodgers. He's a funny guy. He seems like a, he seems like one of those guys like, I would like you. I can't tell if I would like him or if he's just weird and so I think I'd like him. He's got a good sense of humor. I, yeah, he's pretty funny. And he's good on Twitter uh, uh, also. And he throws lasers uh, while running <laughs> in weird directions. He's the best. Ooh, Okay. Islands in the Stream at karaoke or Bon Jovi's Dead or Alive at karaoke? And it has to be one or the other. And one of those songs, yeah. I'm from New Jersey. Okay. And so I grew up surrounded by Bon Jovi. Mm-hmm. And so I might go with Islands in the Stream. Can you sing me a bar or two? That is what we are. <laughs> wait, wait, give me the words. And we can. Uh oh. Scrambled or poached? Scrambled. How do you do your scrambled like real quick? How do you do them real quick? How do you do your scrambled eggs? I have a, I have different styles. I have different styles of scrambled. Give me Depends one. Depends on what I Give feel like. Say, 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 say it's Sunday morning. We have a little bit of time. You know, the sexy food writer way yeah. to do it is you do it over low heat and you stir them for like 45 minutes and it basically <laughs> turns into custard, yeah. which I freaking love. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Uh, um, yeah, coffee. And how do you take your coffee? Black. Oh, this is a good one. Speaking of people with microphones, Aikman or Collinsworth? Collinsworth, yeah. like no question. Collinsworth and 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 Al. I miss Madden though. Well, I, really I mean, miss of course, Madden. yeah. But you know, generations change. But Al, yeah. Al Michael, he's still going. Yeah, like, yeah, Al's good. But also, he he called the freaking Olympic you know hockey game back in 1980. That was what 37 years ago. That dude's been around. Yeah, he's still going strong, which that is which is amazing. This is what I love about Collinsworth. Collinsworth, you know, I think the problem with most uh, announcers is like, I, I love football. It's a complicated love because I also think there's lots screwed up about the game. But uh, yeah, um, understatement. I, I love watching football, and I love the announcers who will teach you about the game because there's so many layers of strategy and so many like down to like literally like 
alignment, talking about how he sets his toes and the angle he sets his toe in will totally change the play. Yeah. Like, but there's so it's crazy. It, but there's it, it. What's amazing with broadcasters is there's like three teams that are actually good. I mean, you have Buck and Aikman, you got Collinsworth and Michael, and there's like maybe one and uh, CBS. Kind of and now you got Romo coming on CBS. We'll see. But it's 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 a hard job to do, and it's like amazing when you get those third tier games and you're listening to these guys. You're like, oh my god, I'm just going to turn the sound off. Um, <laughs> I never get that upset about <laughs> it. I know there are people who get really like exercise over the announcers, but it, but someone who can actually explain nuances and intricacies of the game that you didn't know. Yeah. Uh, I like, I'm all about that. And I think Collinsworth of all like the major names, I think does that the best. No, I, I'm big. I will watch any Sunday night football game, regardless of who's playing. Um, a very now sort of question. Um, smashed burger or fried chicken sandwich? Um, fried chicken. Sandwich. After this fried chicken sandwich. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Do you have a favorite? Do I have a favorite? In New York, like a, at least, like a particular favorite. place. Not, that you like not to go? really. I mean, here's my thing with. Um, I like a burger, but for a long time, I was like kind of like it was. I actually stopped eating beef for a year, a number of years ago. And it was like a, it was dumb. It was like a, a one person boycott, <laughs> which you know it was really effective, but it was like I don't know if you remember this, but like, uh, Mad Cow was oh, like yeah. found in the United States, and like the USDA's position at the time was. Mad cow? What mad cow? Don't know what you're talking about. And well, I was like, this is... They, they were, they, like, they, they played the shaggy. Like, wasn't yeah, me. Yeah, wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, totally. And so, like, I was like, okay, screw this. I'm not eating beef for a year. And uh, it was, you know, whatever. It was, like, a, a choice I made, but it wasn't, like, super principled. And it was, I mean, it was principled. But it was also, like, at some point it wasn't, like, it wasn't painful at all because I just mm -hmm. felt like it was so easy to not eat beef because I had totally grown up uh, in a country where beef is so like the default meat yeah. that at some point, like it didn't taste like anything anymore. Like yeah. it just didn't taste like anything. Yeah. And it wasn't a flavor I really missed. Like for the year, year and a half, I wasn't eating beef or whatever. I kind of like, I came back a changed person. <laughs> <laughs> you came back a fried chicken sandwich I, I, I came guy. back a changed person was kind of like, you know what? If I don't, I mean, I, I eat beef again yeah. and like not super often, uh, because on like the scale, it is actually like the most environmentally damaging mm -hmm. yeah. uh, meat to produce. What it takes, the carbon footprint is the biggest, hoof, yeah. the biggest hoof print. Yeah, but I'll, I'll say the burgers, like whatever. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I so rarely feel like, wow, that burger was great. But yeah. like a fried chicken sandwich, you're like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Last question, uh, butter or olive oil? I use a lot more olive oil, but I, I like butter, man. No shame in that. I like butter. Francis Lamb, thank you very much. Thank you. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Emma Wurtzman and Carrie Polis and edited by Mitra Kaboli. Our theme music is by Valerie and the Grady's with additional music by Nathaniel Wurtzman. We have new episodes every Wednesday. And if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We rely on each other, uh-oh, from one lover to another, uh-oh.